It's time we talk about the weather. We in trouble, friends. The storm clouds are coming in, and I can hear the rumbling of atom bombs that make tsunamis like a butterfly flapping its wings. On the other side of the world is a tornado in Brooklyn, torrential rain in Jamaica, an earthquake in Haiti, a typhoon in Vietnam, a monsoon in Korea, a landslide in India, a fire in San Diego, massive flooding in China, a mudslide in Chappas, a tidal wave in Indonesia, acid rain in Hiroshima. It's been snowing in the desert, y'all. Something is wrong here. The rivers don't run like they used to. Stay calm. This is an emergency. I tell you if I knew. But the future hasn't said a word to me. She's angry that her children won't be born debt free. Destiny said man made curses are her worst pet peeve. They are selling the rain. They are leasing the rivers. They are auctioning off the oceans to the highest bidders. As giant chunks of the polar ice cap dislodge from the North Pole and tourists flock to the site to take pictures. There is disaster tourism. Like there's disaster profiteering. Off the torrential storms and the war and the wrath of global warming. Who will get paid to rebuild? And who will they build for? Who will endure the drought? And the rain. Who will be safe and sound indoors? Who built the missiles? The smart bombs? The rockets? Who gets raided? And who gets paid from whose pockets? Who gets sent off to war? Who dies for whose profits? Who gets remembered? Who's been forgotten? Concrete over the pores of the earth to make our lives harder and build buildings to scrape skies, trying to get closer to God but move farther. Our history's been lost to forgetfulness, erased by the frontiers of manifest destiny, as if. Destiny were man-made or manifested in, in the, the hands, hands of colonial planners who build their thrones atop the remains of nations like gravestones. Celebrate Columbus Day with clearance sales to buy up stuff to cover up that which cannot be bought or sold, only stolen like breath or life or home or an entire people who once believed that land. Could never be owned. And the ocean is worth more than gold. And water cannot be held captive. It will reshape even stone. And even when the last tree stands alone, it still makes a sound long after it's fallen in a forest that lived, even if no one saw it, and fed the world its breath. Whether or not we applauded, one hand clapping sounds a lot like the rhythms we lost in generations who sang even as they departed. Life, 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 life. 
And now we stand at the doorway In the hallway life brought us To this crossroads of lost hope And undeniable promise Where we choose between paths Beyond rightness or wrongness That will lead to the brink of the planet's exhaustion Or the age of compassion Where the meek become strongest And re-inherit the earth And redefine progress Hi, this is Indigo Radio on WVWLP Brattleboro. That was Climbing Poetry. They are selling the rain. Vicki, I'm wondering if you can just talk. That has a lot of really strong messages in it. And what are some of them that stand out to you? Yeah, well, um, something about the planet's exhaustion. I was listening to The Intercepted this morning with um, an interview with Naomi Klein. Klein, And she was um, she was talking about these kind of temper tantrums that people are having around light bulbs, hamburgers, straws, and how it really cuts to the heart of this narrative that these are places of limitless nature and limitless growth. And this is embedded in these stories of um, settler colonial states like the U.S. and Canada. And that explains why it's so hard to reckon with this reality of ecological breakdown, she says, and why it feels like a personal attack. Because if you define freedom as a right to infinitely exhaust nature, then you feel threatened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the idea that land could never be bought or sold. Land could never be owned. I think one of my favorite um, lines in that song is, that we celebrate Columbus Day to buy up stuff that cannot be bought but only stolen. Right. You know, I the other day in class, I asked the students to look around, you know, and are we a part of nature or have we been taught that we are separate to nature? And I always have to remind myself that all of these things that are defined as progress actually come from nature. You know, the way in which we are using the technology to run the airwaves right now is also a part of nature yeah everything does right and how how do we how are we using it and to whose benefit um and then that last line the meek become strongest and re-inherit the earth and redefine progress so we did a couple interviews for our radio show today to talk about climate justice and what young people are doing and how young people in this moment have been standing up and continue to stand up. So we're gonna go to an interview from a middle school student in Springfield, Vermont. Her name is Stella. Let's see if we can get this pulled up. Student at Riverside Middle School. Thanks so much for being on Indigo Radio. Oh, it's my pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) So Stella, we're trying to get thoughts of young people around the world, um, what's happening with climate change. So I'm wondering if you could start out by just talking a little bit about what your thoughts are so climate change like everyone talks about it it's this big thing and a lot of people like especially like people in like congress or like in like power because not just like america but they talk about how like the world's gonna end and all that one thing that i think about climate change is not like when people say like the world's gonna end it's not gonna end we're just gonna become so we can't live here anymore because we polluted the air and the water and there's no animals because they died because water and air is polluted um 
another thing they talk about is like some people are like climate change is like the climate always changes but it's not climate changing it's we're polluting the earth to the point that we're like wearing down the earth permanently so we can't like get food anymore because we're taking too much already and we're not using what we need and we're just using what we want mm-hmm. and also just kind of like I don't understand why humanity just can't see that we can't just keep taking from the earth without giving back to it. Because a lot of people just don't think about the limits that the earth has because it's not, it can't just keep, it can remake resources, but it's going to take a while. So we only need, so they, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so what we've been studying a little bit about climate change and also looking at different ways that people live in connection to nature. Do you want to tell our listeners about what we've been doing in class and what stood out to you? So in class, we've been doing a lot of learning about different activists. Like we took on roles of people around the world who were either affected or benefiting from climate change. And then we also learned about Greta and how she did the strikes on September 20th and how the youth is finally is like okay listen we don't want to have to clean up your mess so you should fix it yourself because you did it mm-hmm. also they want like they're trying to make the older people the people in power to listen to kids because we have opinions too and also in class we have been learning about how we have to like think about how much like we can take from the earth but also then we're learning about how much like we've already destroyed it and how much it's changed because of us. Mm-hmm. So as a young person, what do you think should be done? Like what are kind of things that you would maybe want to take a part in or what do you think other people should be doing? Some like concrete actions. So one thing I think that should be done is a lot of people, especially with like when you're like whole visco girl trying to talk about plastic straws. And I do think like plastic straws they're so unnecessary. There's so many other things. You could just drink out of a glass. Like you don't need a, a straw, like unless you're like need one, then you can use a paper straw or a reusable straw because those exist. Also like plastic bags, I know that in Brattleboro they have been banned. My mom told me that one time we were eating out there. So I was like, why is there paper bags here? And it's like, because in Claremont, when we go to Claremont KFC, they have plastic. And in Brattleboro, they have paper. So I thought that was really cool. But also, like, plastic things we don't need shouldn't be used because we don't need to use them. There's alternatives like paper straws, paper bags. Paper exists. Mm -hmm. There's also other things that can biodegrade that wouldn't leave such a mark in our world. Also, like, fossil fuels, there's other ways to, like, some things, like, cars and stuff. Unless someone found a way to, like, everybody to have a car that doesn't pollute, which would take a lot of money, and also there is sort of things, but then there's also electricity, which also they make electricity from fossil fuels. But, like, cars, we need them because you can't, like, move someone out of their house and you can't take public transportation, like, halfway across states because that doesn't really exist. And especially if you're bringing a lot of stuff with you, too. Um, But it could exist. It could exist. In places like Europe, there is public transportation that... But our country has never um, put in the money to build up that infrastructure. 
they keep using money to do other things, but not the things that would actually help our planet. And they're trying to find solutions that don't change their way of life and mostly benefit them mm. so their businesses don't have to change. So they don't lose their jobs or, like, their business stops because they have to stop, like, mining oil or coal or blowing up mountains and stuff like that. And then also, like, they keep, like, taking more and more even though we don't need it. Mm. Yeah, Absolutely. So do you want to join with the movement that Greta started for young people coming together and making sure your voices are heard? I would look into it, yeah. <laughs> and my mom would be all for it. She yeah. would be like, she would. So I would look into it, yeah. Welcome back to Indigo Radio. We just heard an interview with Stella, a middle school student in Springfield, Vermont who said to us, we have to be learning about this stuff. How much can we take from the earth and how much have we destroyed the earth? Um, Becca, what did you take from Stella's interview? I just think, um, you know, I'm so inspired by young people right now who are really seeing their education as a moment to be doing things to make their world a better place. Yeah, you know what, it's so funny, as a kid, I remember, and I think especially graduating high school in the year 2000, we were the millennial class, and I just remember people telling us over and over that we are the future, and that message is a message we still now are telling our kids, you're the future, but what about now? But when, sh your ideas don't really matter. Yeah, <laughs> well, you're not relevant now, but wait till the future, and so it's, it is, it's really great to to see young people, to hear their voices. Um. You know, and Stella um, is asking really important questions and raising, like, ideas that should be so obvious that I think some of us have forgotten that we do not need plastic straws. They're so unnecessary. So we've been sold plastic, you know, and it's a billion-dollar industry today. So it connects back to the first song that we were playing of um, the ways in which we are polluting and destroying the earth are so unnecessary except uh, for the production of more things that we don't need. Exactly. Yeah. And we're going to talk more about plastics in a bit. And, mm -hmm. um, and and Stella even says, you know, it's it's not like the world will actually end, but we won't be here anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go to another interview by a student uh, in, she is in New Jersey, um, and she talked to us a little bit about the work that she is doing there. Hello, Rahma. Can you hear me? Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on Indigo Radio today. No problem. So Rahma is an eighth grader in New Jersey, and could you tell us a little bit about, as a young person, what are your thoughts right now about the clim climate change and about the movement that's happening for climate justice? Well, I think that it's great that younger people are, are taking a stand in what they believe in in the climate change movement and acknowledging what's going on. And I think it's great, like... The walkout, I feel like that's a great idea. And I just love that younger people, like, um, are, are 
taking a stand and know what's going on. Yeah. So why do you feel like this is an important issue right now? Because it it because like well if if this keeps on going on for a few more years, it's gonna affect the environment a lot. Like like it's like, you know, like what's it called? It's at the tip of my tongue. Mm-hmm. It's um um greenhouse gases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if those continue to go into our atmosphere, then it could affect the 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 earth a lot. So right now is the time to take a stand for it and and not not just ignore it. Absolutely. How did you learn about what's happening in terms of our climate crisis and like is it something that people are talking about in schools? Yeah, actually, I learned about it through school because because there are a, there are clubs called um, called Plastic Free Town that focus on how to how to take away um, less plastic in the town, which could infect the environment, and to help educate more people about what's going on. And so that's how I learned about it, and I decided to join in on that, and. There are also there's also a class called PBL that that makes you focus on a real world issue like climate change and that's what a lot of people have chosen as their topic and I got to listen to a lot of people's input and perspective on that and that's how I got into it and got interested. Nice. So tell us a little bit about the work that you did with this group and you also were able to successfully campaign the mayor of your town that you live in. So tell us a little bit more about that. So for Plastic Free Town, we it started as a small group with maybe three, four people just trying to set up little times to pick up trash and just as a group activity. But as we got more research into it, we decided, hey, let's make it a bigger group, a bigger team. So as that happened, we we thought we thought about what a big, a, what a big like like plastic. Plastic is extremely harmful for the environment. So we said, how could we decrease the amount of plastic that is being used here in Highland Park? So at first, we were very doubtful that this would actually work, but. As our team got bigger, we got stronger. So we went to the council, we talked to the mayor, and we talked about ways that we could decrease plastic in in Highland Park specifically. So we decided that we couldn't take away plastic bags completely, but we could put a tax on them, so ten cents for each plastic bag. And for bigger for bigger stores like Stop and Shop. We could um, we could replace plastic bags with paper bags. So yeah. Oh, and so that is currently in effect now in the town that you live in in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. So how did you feel doing actions like that with your community? It definitely makes the younger the young people, like in middle school and high school, feel empowered. 
a lot because when you look, when you take a step back and look at what you've done, it's like, wow, I really made an impact. I really made a change. So um, it, it definitely makes you feel stronger and more empowered in what you're, in what you're doing. And this like giving thought that yes, I'm young, but look at what look at what I've done to the town. So yeah. That's amazing, Rahma. Congratulations to you all on being able to do that, and I hope that other young people can be inspired and do the work, by, be inspired by the work that you all did. Is there anything? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Is there anything that you want to like say to other young people in the world, or like thoughts about what young people should be doing in this moment? Well, something that I that I want to say is that don't think that just because you're young or just because people have people older have control over you that doesn't mean that you can't make a change or make a difference because you can you really really can if you actually did the research and you tried hard it's very easy to make an impact on what you really believe in welcome back to indigo radio that was an interview with rahma an, an eighth grader in new jersey um and she's talking about young people taking a stand, knowing what's going on. I like that both her and Stella are, are saying, you know, do the research, learn about this stuff. I mean, because that's part of it, right? Is what are we, what are we telling kids? What are we telling students about the world? Do they know the truth? Do they have access to the truth? Well, you know, that's a really interesting question, Vicki, because a couple of years ago, I was walking around my school and I noticed that there were ExxonMobil signs, uh, posters up, um, in the school? In the school. And I asked what was going on, and we had gotten a grant from ExxonMobil. Um, and so there is really interesting right now. Um, Oklahoma has, since this is an article from 2017, um, there are nearly 14,000 teachers in Oklahoma who are trained K through 12 on education curriculum that is funded by the oil and gas industry. So the lesson plans that are created by the Oklahoma Energy Resources Board um, has, is in at least five other states. Mm -hmm. And so half of their budget is restoration and half of their budget is education. Um, and they've spent over $40 million so far on this education program. And so it's just, I, my question is, you know, if we are, if we have a science and a math program like STEM yeah. that is being, curriculum is being designed for the oil, by the oil industry, exactly. my question is for whose benefit? Right, exactly. STEM is a, as we all know, a hot, a hot topic. And so w w science, technology, engineering, math, for, for whose benefit? For what purpose? Are we, you know, supporting oil and gas industry are we building weapons or are we restoring the earth with that knowledge and with that tech technology mm -hmm. and so when greta says listen to the scientists what are we actually teaching about science in school and you know another big concern is that corporations have been funding what i would call junk science um, as a way to undermine climate consensus we know that exxon mobil had back in the 80s had scientists who were talking about the devastating effects of fossil fuels but when your whole profits are based on extraction of fossil fuels they invested so much money in scientific research from the private industry the oil companies 
that um, actually pushes for fake solutions instead of looking at the root causes of climate change. And so I'm just curious, like, you know, ExxonMobil alone has invested $1.25 billion into STEM programs since 2000. Wow. Um, and so I'm curious, like, to you, like, we're talking about possible false, false solutions that kids are taught. Um, what do you think are some of the root causes of climate change? Yeah, I mean, um, we we kind of we have to look at history um, again. Listening to Naomi Klein this morning, she was talking about how to this crisis we won't be able to have a response to it that doesn't address these underlying cause and causes. That isn't fundamentally about building a fair economy. That isn't fundamentally about redressing deep, deep historical injustices and inclusions. And this is a moment where you know. Um, we're in the process of transforming the infrastructure of our societies at, at the speed and scale that scientists have called for. But if we do that, we also have a chance to fix an economic model that is failing the majority of people on multiple fronts. Absolutely. So we're going to play a clip from The Intercept. It's called The Plastic Industry's Long Fight to Blame Pollution on You. Um, and we're going to break it up into three different parts. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Plastics. We began producing plastic in earnest in the 1950s. It's hard to remember back then. I wasn't alive back then, but you know, we got along without it. But of course, it offered great convenience and its production skyrocketed. So in 1967, when Dustin Hoffman was advised to go into plastics in The Graduate, there were 25 million tons of plastic produced. These days, it is 300 million. The industry is worth $4 trillion, and almost half of what we're producing is single-use plastics. You know, the clamshells and things that will be used once and almost instantly become trash. As the trash piles up, people have been increasingly upset about it, about its impacts on these poor countries where it's messing, and also on the oceans, and also on all of us, where it's in our bodies, and it's in our air, and it's in our water. That got me thinking about why haven't we gotten further with eradicating plastic? And of course, the answer is follow the money. So this is Doheny Beach in, in Orange County. We welcome you all to come visit it. It's a great place to learn to surf. Um, it's pretty clean because we have ordinances um, that really stop pollution. Number one is that we have a fee on bags in California. There's also very uh, few beverage containers because we have a container deposit law, um, which really incentivizes people to bring back their containers. And we don't have many plastic straws because now there's a straw on request um, law in California that just doesn't fling straws out. People actually have to really ask for them. So one of the things that shocked me when I started working in this area was to find out that many communities and states actually didn't have the legal right to pass a bag ordinance and reduce litter. Now those little communities were required to clean them up and pay for cleaning them up, but they didn't have the legal rights because some corporate lobbyists had gone in at the state level and passed a law that prevented them from 
putting fees on bags. So the big plan is that we're trying to recycle our plastic bags like this since pollution is getting worse and worse. Westmead Elementary School is in Tennessee and uh, recently kids there won a contest that was for uh, a plastic bag receptacle. And the kids had made a dragon and painted it green and given it teeth and it says feed me and you're supposed to put your plastic bags in it and then they get recycled. And the contest was sponsored by a group called Bag's Life. And A Bag's Life is actually a project of the American Progressive Bag Alliance. And that's a lobbying group for plastic bag manufacturers. And they fight aggressively against bag bans, which are one of the few things that actually help address the plastic waste problem. It really encapsulates this double-edged strategy we've been seeing from the plastic industry, and not just now, but for decades. They've been, on the one hand, saying, recycle, we're with you, let's do it, you know, keep everything clean. And on the other hand, they're fighting every serious attempt to limit plastic production. Makes sense, right? They make their living from plastics production. Welcome back. So you're listening to Indigo Radio, and we are playing a clip from The Intercept, the plastic industry's long fight to blame pollution on you. Yeah, and just a couple of those numbers from the beginning of that clip that I, I wrote down. 1967, we were using 25 million tons of plastic per year. Now it's 300 million tons, and half of that production is single-use plastic. So, so they were talking about these ordinances um, in various places around plastic straws, bags, containers, and we're here in Brattleboro where we also have... Um, a law or an ordinance that bans plastic bags, plastic bag use. I'm not sure exactly what it is because I think you, I think it might be paying for it, or is there no more plastic? Bags I think there are no more plastic bags, and actually, I just came from I don't remember where I was this morning in Brattleboro, but um, they offered for me to pay for a bag, but it was a paper bag. Okay. So good. I haven't seen plastic bags since this law passed. I mean, I just think about this idea of single-use plastics. We know that plastic takes about a thousand years to biodegrade. I, don't, I wouldn't even use the word biodegrade. <laughs> to, to a thousand years to decompose, I guess. It's going to be on this earth for a long, long time beyond us. Yet, how many of us use plastic once and throw it away? Right. Or even this idea of recycling a plastic bag. I mean, that was that's a very individual step towards dealing with the climate crisis. And I think if we look at that um, plastic bag receptacle that they were talking about in West Mead Elementary School in Tennessee, that it was started by the American Progressive Bag Alliance, a lobbying firm for the plastic industry. Yeah, so it's like this image they portray that, you know, yes, we're with you, we should recycle, this is a bag's life, let's, you know, work on this together. And meanwhile, the entire time they're fighting any bag bans or any, um, you know, any investments that aren't going towards plastics. Yeah, like anything that tries to limit plastic production. Because remember, it's a $4 trillion industry now. Yeah. So let's go to some of the, um, the next clip is going to talk about this idea of um, coming from the 19. 70s about individual responsibility to dealing with our climate crisis. 
I consider the recycling symbol to be the most recognizable image of environmental hope. The person who created it uh, was a student uh, in 1970, right after the first celebration of Earth Day. And he entered a contest done by the Container Corporation of America. It's an icon that tells consumers that we can keep uh, consuming products, consuming resources, but that the cycle will continue to create a kind of ecological balance between production and consumption. In 1971, you have the Crying Indian. The Crying Indian commercial uh, was created by Keep America Beautiful, which is an anti-litter organization, which was founded in 1953 by beverage and container corporations. Uh, so it, some of the leaders of it included the Dixie Cup Company and Coca-Cola, and they created a, very, a variety of public service announcements uh, through the Ad Council, the U.S.'s preeminent public service ad agency. They brought you Smokey Bear. Remember, only you can prevent forest fires. And just like Smokey Bear focuses on individual responsibility for forest fires, Keep America Beautiful focuses on the individual's role in fighting what they called the litter menace. Some people have a deep abiding respect for the natural beauty that was once this country. And some people don't. People start pollution. People can stop it. Audiences are meant to feel a sense of guilt when they see that tear, and they're meant to think about what has caused this environmental crisis, what has caused all of the damage, degradation to this person's land. And of course, again, the answer is this, the individual who's been so thoughtless and careless in their littering. For a long time, you know, Welcome back to Indigo Radio. That was another clip from uh, the Intercept video about plastics. Um, so what'd you think, Becca? I mean, I just remember growing up and being like, Earth Day is about picking up the litter. Mm -hmm. um, and a teacher in my school put it really well the other day that picking up litter is not a bad thing. It brings people together to think about what they want their community to be. But it is essentially a beautification project. Mm -hmm. It is not actually getting at the root causes of why we are having this human-created climate crisis now. Right. I mean, keep you know, keep America beautiful. This um, campaign in 1953 by the beverage and container company. It's is just that. It's um, you know, we can pick up litter, and meanwhile, we're going to keep consuming because there's going to be some kind of ecological balance if we're cleaning up after ourselves. Again, like this idea that freedom is defined as a right to infinitely exhaust nature. So we can keep consuming, but let's keep, you know, let's keep picking up the litter to um, this idea of individual responsibility. Right. And think of how strategic that is to blame individuals for the problem. Right. And that's not just something that we're seeing within this climate crisis. Absolutely. Um, we're seeing it in general that people very rarely look at the systemic nature in which we are living that there are a lot of things that are we can fight back but we need to know exactly what's happening and that's why i just love that both stella and rahma the young students on our show today really talked about educate yourself that's the number one thing we can do mm -hmm. exactly so this last part of the clip on 
the intercept the plastic industry's long fight to blame pollution on you is about reduce reuse and recycle you know, this was sort of the message of environmentalism right is to recycle but reduce and reuse the other two parts of that <laughs> that three-part uh, message that those sort of went out the window and so it was all about recycling well in truth in the decades that we've been emphasizing recycling, we have never, the United States, gotten even up to 10% recycling rate for our plastics. The peak was 9.5. So the vast majority of the plastic waste that we've produced in those decades has been burnt or landfilled or ended up in the ocean or in nature somewhere else. For many years, for about 25 years, we've been sending China are plastic waste and we've been calling this waste recycled officially it's categorized as recycled but in fact most of this recycled waste is actually ending up in landfills or in the ocean or being burnt at the beginning of 2018 the government of china said we're not going to take the world's plastic waste anymore new plastic production is so cheap there's no economic driver for collecting all this plastic, washing it, reprocessing it, and making it into a new product. It really shouldn't be called recyclable if nobody wants to buy the material. The plastics industry is expecting huge growth, even beyond, way beyond what we've seen already. We're looking at a slope that's going steeply upwards, and that's in large part because of the declining cost of fossil fuels necessary to make them. This is an environmental story, obviously, but it's very much a climate story too. Because all plastic, or virtually all plastic, is made from fossil fuels, from coal and oil and natural gas. When you look at who the companies producing plastic are, it's often the same ones that are in the oil and gas business because these are petrochemicals we're talking about. So it is ExxonMobil, it's Dow DuPont, it's Chevron Phillips. These are the same big companies that are also on the hook for the climate crisis. And so we have to address them together. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and the guest, not the radio station. We forgot to say that at the beginning, Vicki. <laughs> Oops. Um, so just to um, recap, can you just yeah. talk a little bit about what we just saw in the last segment? Yeah, the, the beginning part was a was kind of about um, the reduce and, and reuse campaign and how that went out the window and this, this recycling campaign took over. And I was actually surprised to hear that the U.S. has never gotten to 10% of recycling plastic. The majority was 9.5%, they said. And and the vast majority has ended up in nature somehow. Mm-hmm. So um, this the clip also talked about how we had been sending China our, quote, recycled waste, which actually ends up in landfills, oceans, being burnt, again, ends up in nature. And so they decided in 2017, I think it was, that new plastic is so cheap to make that they didn't want to buy any of our quote recycled material anymore yeah, and um, i like that it, it shouldn't be called recycled right if no one wants to buy it exactly the new production of plastic is so cheap that be- it's actually more cost effective to not recycle and it's cheap because of the declining cost of fossil fuels 
required to make them. And again, like this is tied to the companies producing plastic are the same ones who are in oil and gas, Exxon Mobil. And they're the same ones in our school that are creating the curriculum. curriculum. Yeah. <laughs> so um, she talks about that we must address all of these things together. And I think the big thing that's always hidden is who's benefiting. You know, Stella talked about how we learned about not just those who are affected, but also who's benefiting because right now in the system that we live in, they're the ones who are making decisions, the people who are making trillions off of the destruction of our planet. Um, so we're going to go to a quick song break. This is a song. Um, is this? Uh, well, actually, hold on a second because I'm going to pull up the song. I'm actually going to play you a clip from um, the protest that happened last weekend outside the coal power plant in Bow, New, New Hampshire. Hampshire. And there were actually a lot of... Um, climate justice activists from Brattleboro who were arrested as part of this action. New Hampshire's largest coal-fired power plant. NHPR's Annie Ropik was there and reports the activists marched onto the grounds of Merrimack Station in Bow, calling for an end to the burning of fossil fuels. Hundreds of protesters came from across New England to denounce the continued operation of the power plant, which is the largest coal-burning facility in the region that's not set to retire. Merrimack Station is owned by Granite Shore Power, which bought it from Eversource last year. It's decades old and now runs more rarely than ever. The regional grid typically only burns coal on very hot or very cold days. But protesters like Rod Monroe say any coal use is too much, knowing that its carbon emissions are accelerating the harmful effects of climate change. This is destroying our future, our ability to survive. We need to shut these plants down. And hope is depending upon doing action. As he spoke, a police helicopter flew overhead. It was part of a large multi-agency state and local law enforcement presence that spent hours monitoring the protesters. Some of the activists raised signs and chanted slogans outside the facility's main gate or rallied in a nearby field. Others, including Rod Monroe, marched onto the property down railroad tracks that deliver coal to the power plant about once a year. The activists carried shovels and plastic buckets, hoping to use them to carry coal away from the plant. No coal, no oil. Keep the carbon in the soil, they said. When the protesters neared the plant's coal storage pile on private property, they stopped, linked arms in a circle, and began to sing. Police, some wearing riot gear and carrying batons, moved in to arrest them, binding their hands with zip ties. Police detained 67 protesters total, charging them with Class B misdemeanors for criminal trespassing. Bow police say no injuries or property damage were reported during the event. For NHPR News, I'm Annie Ropeek. Today's programming on WVEW is underwritten in part by Everyone's Books. Located in downtown Brattleboro at 25 Elliott Street, Everyone's Books is a family-owned, independent bookstore that has been serving the community for over 30 years. They specialize in books about social change, the environment, politics, and travel, and offer a huge range of children's books. You can reach them by phone at 802-254-8160 or online via their website, at everyonesbks.com. WVEW thanks Everyone's Books for their support of this station. Ma. 
Welcome back to Indigo Radio, WVEWLP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station. And we just listened to a, a news clip from a recent protest at, in, um, at New Hampshire's largest coal-fired power plant. It's um, New which England's largest. Oh, yeah. New England's yeah. largest, which is not set to retire. Um, no coal, no oil, keep that carbon in the soil. So we've seen a lot of demonstrations lately and you know for decades really but we've more recently we've seen a level of climate mobilization that we've never seen before i think and you know this was one example but recently four million people took to the streets to protest um and so just and i think it's really important to note that um the indigenous people have been part of climate justice since the beginning of colonization that was like a main um, form of resistance was to protect the land. You know, when the United States or when the uh, colonization of the Americas started, it was like a land grab for resources. And since that time, um, communities have been devastated by the mining of uranium. I'm thinking about um, like the Hopi and the Navajo tribe. Um, in, I'm forgetting where it is. Nav, um, Are you Standing Rock? Yeah, and there's also Standing Rock. You know, just the people have been resisting and taking back their land for a long time, which is also part of the environmental movement. Right. So, um, so we're gonna actually go into a clip um, from Greta Thunberg, who. Um, many of us know has been a leader in this recent um, this recent move for mobilization around the climate yeah and especially the climate strikes um, that she was doing on her own for a year that now other people have joined in for Friday strikes and here she is it's called Greta uh, we are ignoring climate natural climate solutions and it's from the Guardian This is not a drill. My name is Greta Thunberg. We are living in the beginning of a mass extinction. Our climate is breaking down. Children like me are giving up their education to protest. But we can still fix this. You can still fix this. To survive, we need to stop burning fossil fuels. But this alone will not be enough. Lots of solutions are talked about, but what about a solution that is right in front of us? I'll let my friend George explain. There is a magic machine that sucks carbon out of the air, costs very little, and builds itself. It's called a tree. A tree is an example of a natural climate solution. Mangroves, peat bogs, jungles, marshes, seabeds, kelp forests, swamps, coral reefs, they take carbon out of the air and lock it away. Nature is a tool we can use to repair our broken climate. These natural climate solutions could make a massive difference. Pretty cool, right? But only if we also leave fossil fuels in the ground. Here's the crazy part. Right now, we are ignoring them. We spend 1,000 times more on global fossil fuel subsidies than on natural-based solutions. 
natural climate solutions get just 2% of all the money used on tackling climate breakdown. This is your money. It is your taxes and your savings. Even more crazy, right now, when we need nature the most, we're destroying it faster than ever. Up to 200 species are going extinct every single day. Much of the Arctic ice is gone. Most of our wild animals have gone. Much of our soil has gone. So what should we do? What should you do? It's simple. We need to protect, restore and fund. Protect. Tropical forests are being cut down at the rate of 30 football pitches a minute. Where nature is doing something vital, we must protect it. Restore. Much of our planet has been damaged. But nature can regenerate, and we can help ecosystems bounce back. Fund. We need to stop funding things that destroy nature and pay for things that help it. It is that simple. Protect, restore, fund. This can happen everywhere. Many people have already begun using natural climate solutions. We need to do it on a massive scale. You can be part of this. Vote for people who defend nature. Share this video. Talk about this. All around the world, there are amazing movements fighting for nature. Join them. Welcome back. This is Indigo Radio on Brattleboro's community radio station, 107.7 FM. Um, I just love the ending of that video. Join the movements who are fighting. It's not anything new, and it's not something that we necessarily have to stop. It's joining up with the forces that are already working to protect nature and to fight these big oil and gas and fossil fuel industries from destroying places like the rainforest. Yeah, I mean, the video's kind of, you know, it's it, it's got that music, it's really inspiring, it's it's exciting because, you know, he says he says the magic machine, it's a tree. It's it's really that simple, but only if we leave fossil fuels in the ground. Um and I don't know, Becca, if you if you if we should talk about this idea of, you know, sh the solution being protect, restore and fund. So it's, it's about money. Um, it's within this system, this capitalist system, this economic model that we currently live in. Um, but in a way, she's saying we should stop paying for destruction. Mm -hmm. um, it reminds me, too, of like the BDS movement, Boycott, Divest, and Sanction, um, which is still within an economic system, but it's a tactic that works. This is your money, uh, Greta was saying. So when we talk about what we're funding, whether that's, you know, weapons or um, you know climate disaster and the destruction of our planet. I think that's a message that um, people start to hear. Yeah, and I think we can use the word invest and not only talk about money, but invest in the, a future where all humans can live healthy and happy lives. And it's not just a future that has been imagined by the few for the few. And you know, we have those ideas in our heads. Kids are saying to me, China won't take our recycling anymore. Let's go beat them up. Hmm. Or why don't we just send our trash to space? And so they're fed at these like very much um, propaganda that benefits wealthy people who are making a profit off of climate destruction. Right. So 
with numbers, four million people out on the streets on one day, that's really where the change is going to happen. Absolutely. So we have a song to play. And before we go to our final song, I just want to make a quick announcement that Spark Teacher Education Institute will be hosting a film night on October 26th. It's part of our film series that happens once a month. And we're going to be showing The Great White Hoax, which is a new Tim Weiss film. So stay tuned for more information on that. And also check out Facebook, Instagram, and SoundCloud and podcast to get some of our Indigo radio shows. Yeah, and this is not our first climate show. We recently had Fred Magdoff on the show talking about both climate and capitalism. So check him out. Um, And thanks for tuning in. We're going to hear... A song from Calle 13 called Latino America. Soy, soy lo que dejaron, soy toda la sobra de lo que se robaron. Un pueblo escondido en la cima, mi piel es de cuero, por eso aguanta cualquier clima. Soy una fábrica de humo, mano de obra campesina para tu consumo. Frente de frío en el medio del verano, el amor en los tiempos del cólera, mi hermano. El sol que nace y el día que muere, con los mejores atardeceres. Soy el desarrollo en carne viva, un discurso político. Atardeceres, soy el desarrollo en carne viva, un discurso político sin saliva. Las caras más bonitas que he conocido, soy la fotografía de un desaparecido. La sangre dentro de tus venas, soy un pedazo de tierra que vale la pena una canasta con frijoles. Soy Maradona contra Inglaterra, anotándote dos goles. Soy lo que sostiene mi bandera, la espina dorsal del planeta en mi cordillera. Soy lo que me enseñó mi padre, el que no quiere a su padre. No quiere a su madre, soy América Latina, un pueblo sin pierna pero que camina. Oye, tú no puedes comprar al viento, tú no puedes comprar al sol, tú no puedes comprar la lluvia, tú no puedes comprar el calor, tú no puedes comprar las nubes, tú no puedes comprar los colores, tú no puedes comprar mi alegría, tú no puedes comprar mi dolor. Pa' cuando me sonrío, la nieve que maquilla mis montañas Tengo el sol que me seca y la lluvia que me baña Un desierto embriagado con peyote Un trago de pulque para cantar con los coyotes Todo lo que necesito Tengo a mis pulmones respirando azul clarito La altura que sofoca Soy las muelas de mi boca, mascando coca El otoño con sus hojas desmayadas Los versos escritos bajo la noche estrellada Una viña repleta de uva, un cañaveral bajo el sol en Cuba. Soy el mar caribe que vigila las casitas haciendo rituales y agua bendita. El viento que peina mi cabello, soy todos los santos que cuelgan de mi cuello. El jugo de mi lucha no es artificial porque el abono de mi tierra es natural. Tú no puedes comprar el viento, tú no puedes comprar el sol, tú no puedes comprar la lluvia, tú no puedes comprar el calor.
orgullo, aquí se comparte, lo mío es tuyo. Este pueblo no se ahoga con marullo Y si se derrumba, yo lo reconstruyo Tampoco pestañeo cuando te miro Para que te recuerde de mi apellido La operación Cóndor invadiendo mi nido Perdono, pero nunca olvido, oye Vamos caminando, aquí se respira lucha Calle Trece, Latino America. And the song is singing about how you can't buy the wind, the sun, and especially you cannot buy the land or my happiness. Um, so we're going to end with a little Indigo Radio special. Here we go. People power on the rise. Now it's time to organize. People power on the rise. Now it's time to organize. People power on the rise. Now it's time to organize. People power on the rise. Now it's time to organize.